Hey everybody, welcome to the Jesus Magnet. Um, Today we are doing a testimonial podcast um, with our guest David Yang, um, who is currently in Australia, and so we're going to have him called into the show today. Um, We've got with us Joel Hillary and Mr. Todd Kirkwood. G'day. How's it going, mate? David? (laughs) How's it going? Oh, he doesn't talk like that, does he? Oh, I can put it on if you want me to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, right. How's it going? <laughs> is yeah, is David your birth name or is it just Dave? Pardon, Paul? Is David your birth name or is it Dave? Just... Yeah, Dave, David's my birth name, but in Australia, everyone calls me Dave, Dave okay. sort of thing. Cool. I think we might just go by Dave-O. Dave-O sounds good. <laughs> Such an Australian thing. For... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Definitely, definitely. I like it. Um. So you got in contact with us through Facebook through a mutual friend of uh, Joel yeah. Hillary's, isn't that right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, shout out uh, Zhao and Andrew. They're incredible. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did a, a couple of deals in, in Chicago with property, and um, David, um, as you know, Zhao and uh, Andrew, they sort of um, – Man, they are people to go for, go to for words of wisdom and advice, hands down. I believe they're converting a school to become um, apartments. Wow. They're very, very interesting. Yeah, they're, they're incredible people. And um, yeah, so yeah, Zhao um, sort of teed us up together. Said that you've got um, a story that that God's you know given you, and and you've been able to share it with us on the Jesus Magnet, and we believe that it will bless a lot of people um, and all our listeners, because every single time we get so encouraged with these stories, um, they just show that God's presence is so real in today, and um, yeah, so thank you for coming on, David, or Davo. Um, <laughs> it's such an <laughs> honor to have you here. Yeah, no, my pleasure, and you're, you're absolutely right, big shout out to my friends. Yeah, they're, they're, they're just wonderful people, and they just got a vision and a fire inside of them. So, mm. yeah, it's just great. It's just great to be up and do it this day. So. Yeah, yeah. I might just ask you to speak right into your mic if that's all right. Um, just come in a little bit patchy on our end, but that's all good. Mm-hmm. Um, no worries. Is that better? That's better. I couldn't hear the Australian twang before, so that's a bit better. Um, <laughs> Uh, apologies for the aeroplane that's about to fly into the caravan we're uh, recording in. It's yeah, right outside. It's good. <laughs> We've recently created a recording studio out of a caravan, which is kind of cool. So, Davo, that that'll help you get a visual for where we're at. Um, yeah, you can tell we're professional because we're in our own driveway. <laughs> no, this is the best. This is the best time. We're going up in the world. It's kind of cool, but yeah, we've we've never encountered planes before, so. I kind of think we're a step up from everybody else. We have a movable studio. Yeah. Everybody else is yeah. in the one spot. That's true. When we, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, David. Yeah, let's downproof. Downproof it doesn't matter. Yeah. Mobility <laughs> matters. Mobility matters. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's my thinking. All right, let's start with your um, your story, David. Where do you want to start? At the beginning is a good place to start. Yeah, well, well I'll try to start at the start. Um, I like I'm I'm very passionate to tell my story um, because I 
I feel like God has done so much for my life, and I, I don't know like where I'll go with it and how it's going to end up. But so far, it's just been a brilliant journey with God. So yeah, I guess I'll start the start. Um, so I was just I was actually born in the US, actually, surprisingly. Um, Whereabouts? My family, um, Georgia. Georgia, Atlanta. Yeah, um, that's as far as I know in terms of the geography of where I was born. Um, and then my family decided to move back to Taiwan um, after like one year. Um, I don't know if it's to be close to family or whatever, but that's kind of where I'm from. And then God put a plan or put a purpose and a mission in their heart to to spread the gospel. And so they came to Australia um, when I was about two and a half, three years old, and I've been here ever since. So that's kind of where I'm from and um, where the journey started. So are you an American citizen then? Well, I'm actually a bit hazy on that because I think I might at one stage have had three passports. Well, oh, yeah. um, and and but I don't think the US likes that. Um, so I think I have to give up one or two. Okay. Um, and I'm I'm just I'm just don't really want to pay too many taxes. That's um, mm. that's where I'm at. So you have that's, a US uh, passport, a Taiwan Taiwan passport, yep. and yep. an Australian passport. Yeah, yeah. But um, the US one has gone out of date because I haven't visited them so. Oh, probably ten years old, so yeah. I haven't really gone back. So I didn't really need to update that one again. That's um, cool. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Hey, serious, serious question though. Um, have you ever put all your passports in a reasonably, reasonably hard location, but kind of still easy to find, in a box with lots of cash, just to make it look like you're a spy if, if somebody comes across it? Because I would do oh, that look. if I had three. Like a, like a Jason Bourne film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would oh, have it just under the coffee table, sort of like someone could stumble across it, just to have people on. <laughs> yeah, look, I didn't know, I didn't know, I was looking around, I didn't know you were mind reader. I was like, hmm, that's a bit too obvious, is it? <laughs> I did a bit better. <laughs> With like a fake water pistol or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fake water pistols and some fake Batman cash. Just yeah. <laughs> Mono- a big stack Monopoly. of Monopoly money. <laughs> yeah, Monopoly money. Sorry, carry on. Back to the no, like, no. the real story. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think a bit of fun is good. Um, yeah, no, so that's where I'm from. And, you know, growing up in Australia, it's, it's quite funny because you don't you don't know any better, so you just go through life as, as normal. Um, and I didn't like I didn't think I was any anyone special, or, or like I'm not like you know a professional athlete or anything like that, or you know, something like that. Um, just a normal guy grew up in Australia, and I just didn't know what was going to happen and uh, what what God's journey for me was back then. Yeah, but I'll fast forward a bit. I won't go too long otherwise. Um, so I grew up nice and easy, and I've been blessed with good, faithful parents who just love God, um, always took us to church, always told us about the purpose in life. It's more than just living for yourself, mm. um, serving, just to serve others. And so I kind of grew up with that type of um, type of mindset and type of heart for God. Um, and um, so me and my family understood like my siblings, I should say, understood early on that, you know, it's not just about, you know, getting money or getting a job. Um, 
etc. It's it's just much more than that because my family like rooted their entire lives, entire family, and just decided to go to another country because um, they were sent out and they had like God God sent them out to Australia to to um, spread the gospel. So we we knew early on that there was more purpose um, in life than that. And so growing up. Um, Again, I didn't know this was special until I've grown up a bit more and realized that oh, it is quite weird to do this. Um, I actually grew up with, um, for most of it, one of our family friends um, living with us. So we lived on a, like, I, I feel like the whole theme of my <laughs> my whole story is that I kind of have the best of all the worlds that God has given us. Um, I lived in Brisbane City, so not, not in the city, but Brisbane, the biggest city. Um, but I live on the suburbs, and then after that, I lived on a little acreage, you know, on the suburbs. So I was kind of in the city person, and then we kind of owned a little bit of land, not not like huge amounts, but just a bit of land, and then had one horse, hundred chickens, some dogs, um, and and all that. So we had enough space. So we actually lived with a family friend of ours, who was actually a pastor um, from the same church back in Taiwan with um, with mum and dad. And also, I, I don't know who made the decision, but um, about probably about 10 or 12 or 15, so we ran about 25 people, um, homestays, we got in from overseas. So that was back when the economy was really taking off and um, a lot of the, our friends from Taiwan were like, well, you know, we're going to send our kids overseas to learn some English and, you know, they're not doing that well at the school here, like they need this. They need to change their mindset a bit, so we'll send them out. And we did the homestaying for them. So growing up, I had like 20 people in the household every day. Um, never a boring household. No, I wouldn't imagine so. Um, it's a great way to um, get those social skills uh, growing up. I think you can really tell the difference for those who have had lots of people in and out throughout their house. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, just want to touch on your parents. Were they, were they missionaries or were they just coming over to bring – your family into a better um, or a different life or what was um, it? So uh, the homestays, you mean? Oh, just for when your parents originally moved to Australia, was that? Yeah, yeah. The, no, they weren't missionaries. So they were just part of like Bible college and then they just had this fire to, like I said, with the economy booming back then, like a lot of people were starting to migrate to Australia. Um, and it just so happens that the um, the plan was just to spread the gospel there Um in, in Australia, I mean, and just that was it. Um, I'm still not 100 percent sure, like, if they had a set set plan. But like, in, as part of that team, like, people went to South America, some people went to Canada, um, some people went to, I believe, oh, yeah, I can't remember. Like, they they they, they, they were spread out a lot um, yeah. in that for my mum's group. But no, they weren't real missionaries. Um, and I think back in the day, no one was really like officially trained with a certificate with a title sort of thing. It was just kind of, it happened. Right, okay. Mm. Oh, no, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Carrot, Good question, though. I've never, never thought about <laughs> it like that. <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah, just the way you said it, that God had given them a purpose. I wasn't sure if... Um, yeah, yeah. Just spread the gospel. No, because mum... Yeah, mum would, to, the, to this day, she was like, no, I'm not a missionary. I'm not a pastor or anything like that. I'm like, oh, mm. you kind of... I don't have passes, you know. mm. not in an official sense, but you sort of have. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, good. 
Oh, yeah. never thought about. Um, yeah, so the, the kids that um, the kids that um, came over were like your teenagers, so 12, 10. Um, the youngest one was 10 for a little while, but that was a family friend. The others were more like 13, 14 to 17, 18 sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I when I was younger, they, these were all my older brothers and sisters and they just looked after me. So I really just grew up in a household full of people, full of life. Um, and it wasn't like, and we just had family church, so it was nice and easy. Um, so that was that was the way I grew up. Um, and I, I, like you said, like I thank God so much for that because there's been so many benefits of me, like knowing people, the social skills, and community, like just having that family and community, like that's what family can be like. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just, it's just wonderful. So I really, that's one of the blessings um, that that I've that I've had in my life there. Um, yeah. I'm yeah. Just thinking. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was gonna share. Yeah, dinner times are a bit of a battlefield. Um, so <laughs> yeah, living with a bunch of teenage boys was. Um, you learn how to survive quite quickly. Um, it was first come first serve. After grace is finished, you just go bang, 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 and everyone took as much food as they could in their bowls, and off we went. So, uh, I think anyone that, that taught me. Anyone on a, maybe a scout camp or a youth youth camp um, probably knows that you you heard that every day. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And and out of yeah. your siblings, you got two siblings. Um, mm-hmm. Are you the? Where do you sit in? Yeah, I'm the oldest of three. You're the oldest. Oh, the yeah. responsibility there. Yeah, heavy responsibility. But I, again, like I've just been blessed. Like I've got the best of both worlds. I had the responsibility, but we grew up with, you know, basically you can't, like you said, every day. Um, so I had all these older brothers and sisters that also looked after me. Yeah. So didn't. Yeah, it was responsibility. Definitely was there, and but like also it wasn't. Yeah. But it wasn't as strong back then back then mm. um, yeah. okay no, so so take us from your you're living in in, in Brizzy, is that right mm-hmm. Brisbane? yep and you yeah got so a, we're still yep you just got a house full of loads of loads of people loads mm-hmm. of teenagers um mm-hmm. did you find that uh there was a you had to sort of like step have your ground and your Christian faith having so many different teenagers because I mean when I grew up as a teenager that was the most that that was the the time to rebel you know and having a whole house full of teenagers did you have did did you have to like sort of stand your ground or or be the mentor for a lot of them or um, were you rebellious yourself how did it all work no, so because I was younger, so I was about 10 back then, and the, the other guys were all a bit older than me, I actually took the opposite route, funny. Um, you should ask that. Um, I saw things they did, and I was like, ah, oh, that doesn't interest me at all. Yeah. Uh, which is weird, like, because I knew, like, one or two of them was thinking, you know, maybe a cigarette or something like that, and um, and once they turned 18, they just bite me, which is what it was. Um, mm. But for the most part, like, I just went, ah. Oh, Oh yeah, and so uh, yeah, probably probably the opposite route. I was like, nah, I'm not going to do that. That's, That's good. What they do, yeah, it's not, not awesome. as fun. Standing back, and observing from afar, and yeah, it's, yeah, it's a good way to approach. Pros and cons. Yeah. I see you cough a lot. 
<laughs> probably shouldn't <laughs> do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, some of them did. Like, I was like, oh, you know, in the basketball squad, like, we just play together. And, like, I'm like, oh, why is this guy always a bit, you know, huffy puffy? He's like, oh, he's smoking now. So, <laughs> not, not the best. Not the best. Uh, what a dingo. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so why don't you yep. so, follow us from you're 10 years old, you got a house full of siblings, half mm-hmm. sort of siblings. <laughs> um, yeah, what happened next? Yeah, so um, we then, I don't know when the transition happened, but um, I guess like we just slowly dwindled down a few. So we went from like 15 or 10 and then we started going smaller and smaller. Until um, we only had about, um, I'd say, um, five maybe or three. And then we slowly, slowly, we only got down to three people sort of thing. And um, at that stage, um, my dad got into, um, so we've always done like a bit of um, import-export business back in the day. Mm. And then um, we did? went into, uh, I don't what did you import and export? Oh, just, so it was a bunch of stuff back then, like just people wanted stuff from overseas, like um, like furniture, Asian furniture, like um, rice cookers back in the day, like it wasn't as easy to get. Um, so any anything that people wanted from overseas, mm. basically. Yeah, yeah. It was all like, wow. I, I, I find it funny now because everything's like, it's every, like all the exporting is very, very open now but back in the day like something as simple as like a bamboo rod for like sweeping the floor like a mop not a mop um, a broom a bamboo broom from Taiwan like and people wanted that so it was just an assorted of stuff like it's hilarious what some of the things we uh, undock for them yeah so family items basically and somehow again I don't know when the transition happened but um, we got more and more into the tiling business um, of importing granite and marble tiles, mm. um, and so part of part of growing up, I would help with that. And then somehow, again, this is where I'm a bit hazy on things, um, is when we we started doing like um, kitchen bench tops as a main import export thing, and then installing it. So kind of becoming a stonemason. Um, my 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 bad. And so we went from, you know, doing that to to running a business. And so the, the reason why I'm talking about the business now is because um, there's been lots of ups and downs in my life and it's all got to do with, like, what's happened and all the history behind that um, kind of thing. Um, yeah. But, yeah. So... We transitioned to, uh, we moved houses, okay, we moved a bit further away to a house with a bit of a, bit of a shed slash factory sort of thing. Like it was a, um, yeah, it was a little, it was quite big for a shed. It was a huge shed or a small factory, depending on how you want to talk about. So on an acreage, you've got your home and then you've got a huge shed on the side that we started doing our business on. Um, yeah, and things were going well um, for the most part. Um, there were some financial difficulties back then because of um, the we had a housing boom for quite a while, and then suddenly it just kind of 
collapsed. Can't remember when exactly this happened. Two thousand eight. Um, so, was it that? Crash? Yeah. The two thousand eight crash might have been that one. Uh, no, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yes, it was that one. Um, but just a bit before that, so two thousand six, we started seeing like a lot of builders going out of business. Um, back mm. in Brisbane, and and the prices, the housing prices in Brisbane was ridiculously high. Like there was a bit of a bubble there. Mm. Um, mm. So so it, it kind of collapsed, and the two thousand eight one was when it fully um, fully collapsed. But this was this was just a bit before. And um, so our business wasn't going as well. Um, and you're working and in that for, business? Yeah, so I, I wasn't initially working too much into it. So we would just spend our weekends there um, and just help out whenever there's a new shipment come in. So like, you know, if there's a new shipment, we'll go help unload and unlock um, for a night. Um, but generally speaking, I'm, I was, you know, 14. I wasn't really, didn't really have time. And then... Um, by yeah, by fourteen, what happened basically was one of our investment properties that mum and dad invested into um, didn't sell, didn't go through. So we had a few cash flow problems there. So because of that, we were just un- really, really under the pump mm. um, for cash. And um, so it wasn't it wasn't like it didn't sell, but it just sold like like it was just delay after delay. So one of the one of one of the um, houses just really, really stuffed um, the whole operation up sort of thing. Yeah. And, yeah, and um, it's, it's, it's weird, but then also we then obviously had to cut costs somewhere. So we, instead of um, another, you know, another worker helping out that in the business or two other, two, three others, it just became um, me, my dad, and one more worker. Operating this, um, this it's quite uh, a lot of responsibility so on a fourteen-year-old. Yeah, yeah. So by that time, because of that financial difficulties in the business, um, we all our homestays and grew, they grew up too. Like they, they all grew up, and when they passed eighteen, nineteen, they leave and yeah. start their own journeys. Um, so by that time, it was just the family and one worker that didn't live with, with us at all. And so by that time. Yeah, it, it became, we knew, and dad was honest with us, and we knew, like, um, you know, we were struggling a little bit. We were cash, like, it was just, we were just, you know, in trouble, but it wasn't too bad. We were still making good money with the business. It was just that investment property was really dragging down mm. um, the, the whole thing. So I think that whole delay happened for a year or two. Like, that, that one house just didn't sell, or, like, it just fell through and fell through and fell through. Okay. Yeah, so... Yeah, so increasingly I'd spend all my afternoons, um, after I got home from school, I'd just come straight to the factory and, and cut, and cut stone. So that, not like me, you know, grinding it, but like there's a big machine, so I'd, I'd have to load it up, um, help with the carrying, load it up, cut it, unload it, um, on this big platform, um, diamond cutter thing, and then dad would then polish it. So, you know the um the ki- the beautiful kitchen bench top that you like the stone ones that you can see sometimes. Yeah. Sides are all smooth. Yeah. So someone's actually made that cut, and then someone also had to hand polish that. Most wow. likely. Yeah. There's a lot that goes into it. Eh? I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it's 
like it's not terribly difficult, but there is a bit of a process, and it is heavy work because yeah. we're dealing with tons and tons of of, of of rock, you know, of granite sort of thing. And yeah. so that's that was that was life, you know, just go to school, come home from school, get into the factory, help out um, all night till you know, seven, eight, nine o'clock. Do my homework, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Yeah. Um, and so that happened for for a while, and then, but then things got even worse. So, um, what happened was my dad just wasn't feeling great. Like physically, he was just tired and he was just sore. And so we tried everything, you know, massages, um, and going to the studio, like all that sort of thing, a naturopath, all that, and we just like we just couldn't, we just don't, you know, like what was the problem? So we just went to the hospital for a checkup one day, and um. It was uh, something I can never forget in my life, and I guess it, it's a. At the time, you don't know it's a blessing, but now, now all I can say it was was. Um, so I remember we took that to emergency because the pain was just unbearable that day, um, and they said, "Oh, look, we're going to run these tests," and um, they went into this room. Mum and Dad did, and then they came out, and Mum and Dad's English isn't that great, so Mum was like, right, Dave, you come into the room too. And so I did, and I don't know don't know if you've ever heard about these stories or probably seen in movies, but it was that type of moment that I was just like, wow, this actually happens for real. And basically the doctor just sat us down in a very calm way and just said, look, you have cancer mm. um, to my dad. And... I, I was shocked. I was just when I was 16, now, I think 15, 16. And, you know, your mind goes into overdrive at that time. And you're just like, oh, that, that's, that's like saying you have a death sentence, you know. Mm. And, but, but you, like, it's funny because the first thing you do in that moment is everything just calms. You go into this. I wouldn't say peace, but you go into this silence. Like all the all the noises in the emergency department. Like I was hungry, nothing of that mattered. It was like, like, is this for real? Like, is this, is this actually for real? Mm. And and yep. the doctor was like, and he he was he, he must have been really experienced because I think he handled it really well. And mm. and he just started talking because we were we were shocked. You know, and then he was like, "Look, this cancer is in the liver, and it's spread already. Um, unfortunately, that doesn't look very well because it's it's in the lungs mm. um, at this point in time. And as a sixteen-year-old, you hear about cancer, but you think you're bulletproof. Mm. You know, you don't you don't think that happens to you. You, you might have think sort of like some long-distant relative having it. Um, so the question is obviously. The one question I think all people get when they first hear it is how long. Yeah. And the doctor was like, "Look, at this stage, it's probably looking like three to six months tops." Wow. That's and so quick. Yeah, so three to six months, and so I was obviously shocked. And then you go into this anger. Um, by no means was I a very like an angry child, but 
let me tell you, <laughs> when things like this happen, it, it's weird because it, like the, the the steps in psychology must be like they know what they're talking about. There, first you go into denial, like no, that's not true. My dad's bulletproof. He's a superhero. You know, he's in pain, but he's just he's you know it's not real, not real. Mm. And then once the once once you realize that and the bomb drops, you go into anger. It's like how dare how dare that dog? He doesn't know us. He doesn't know mm. what we've been through. Like he doesn't know any of this. Like how can you just stay simply three to six months? That's impossible. And I remember having the argument with my mum was like, all oh, right, so the doctor says three to six months. And I was like, no, mum, you, you misunderstood. No, she said, you know, maybe. Like, there's potential for more. You never never lose hope. So I'm, I'm, then I'm angry at mum, you know. And mum was like, yep, yep, yep. Mm. Yeah, because you would have had to and, translate all this, or I guess make it easy for them to understand in the doctor's room well, as well. Would Yeah. Yeah, I didn't fully have to translate everything because I think mum got the gist of it and the doctor obviously understood. So he used easier words. Um, right. But yes, I was, I was trying to, I was trying to translate like the, the harder words like deliver and like, you know, more technical stuff. Like, can I ask, um, yeah, um, can I ask what your dad's reaction to this news was? Or did he have a piece or more of a fear? Honestly, all I can remember was, he was just, I, I don't know how he felt, but all I can say is he just took it on the chin sort of and just like, okay. Mm. Like as if, as if like, oh yeah, we have, we now have the answer to the problem. Like mm. that's why I'm in pain, you know, that's why I'm sore every morning. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, like, I think it was such a, I don't know if it was in shock or whatever, but he just took it like as he normally would to any bad news like even through our financial difficulties like I never saw my dad like break down or like um, he was honest with us like he knew he was emotional about things but like never did, did I think like he couldn't he couldn't beat it mm. you know yeah. but he just copped it and he's like yep I understand and I was like I don't I don't think you guys understand is it the English or what is it like yeah. I don't think you understand what this doctor is telling us but he, they understood um, they did understand the gist of it the first time. That's before they called me in, I think. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was just, I don't know how long we were in that doctor's office for. In fact, I don't even remember how it got home that day. Um, or even if we stayed at the hospital for overnight tests or whatever and whatever. And then you get passed around in hospitals. Mm. So you go from, ED to um, to um, the kind of oncologist or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, oncologist. Um, yeah, and then you just get passed around to specialists, and like, and then you just follow their processes, and you're just kind of blind. You're left kind of just mm. you just let to do stuff. Um, and we were just waiting, like we couldn't do anything for the ad or anything like that. But mm. and so that period of um, three months from chemo, radiology, recovery, and all that sort of thing was probably the weirdest three months I've ever encountered, I think. I use the word weird, not because I mean to. I just don't know how else to describe it because you're kind of floating, I think. You kind of just, I, I don't know what... Um, 
like maybe other people have sort of thing. You kind of just live through it, get up day by day, you live through it, but you're not sure how you live through it. Right. Coping. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just don't know, like, so, you know, then basically we, um, you know, you kind of just accept back and just, um, you just go through it, like. Did you have a church family to um, sort of lean upon? Yeah, definitely. So that was the biggest blessing, I think, in like through the whole thing like that's why I say it was weird because it was also very peaceful and also a lot of happy times happened in the three months yeah. um, before my dad from from that um, first diagnosis to to when he passed away that was again like it was it was a happy three months but also a sad three months mm. because we had so many visitors come in you know you start with your friends your family your church family come in and pray for you yeah um and then there was another pastor, a really close pastor of a friend of ours, um, who was actually going through chemo as well. So he actually got he actually got cancer as well. And so he was like, "Oh, look at me! I, I've I've got this um, I've got this cancer too, but I've been living for four years now." Wow! You know what a blessing. And so yeah, so like there was only positivity. Like, nah, that's just fine. We'll just get through it like normal. Like. You know, we we all know we're going to die, so it's fine. Like, this just tells us we're going to die just sooner. Um, and that's not to say God can't heal us, so, you know. Mm. And so it was just like people bring food. Um, yeah, like people coming to pray. Um, yeah. You know, my family flew in from overseas. Um, all the all the people that we've blessed in the past, so like through through homestaying like it wasn't just a homestay it was literally family like all they came all of them came to visit and like it was just it it was good because like it feels like all the people that we'd encountered up to that point in our lives came back to bless us through kind words through um some some gave money some gave food Mm. some just gave company you know and it, it was just it was it was happy but but then the reality was during the day when they could have, you know, got like a job or whatever. But the, the reality is during the day and like during the times when we couldn't allow any visitors because my dad was in that much pain, is we still had to get through life. So that was also tough. Yeah. And so, and I'll never forget this either. Like, I remember days, so we go to school, we come back four o'clock, get home. Um, and me and my sister then became the main um, people cutting the stone. So it was, yeah, so we couldn't afford a worker anymore because, you know, we still had this financial problem still there. Yeah. And so, you're working, and so we just, you're working and studying at school and then you come home and you've got to work and you've got to deal with your, your father's cancer at the same time. Yeah, and Dad was still working too. He was he was making plans. He was still writing stuff. That I, I like Mum was running the business. I, I honestly don't know. Again, it's, it's just a, it's just a blur, like a blur yeah. of emotion. So we come home. I remember because this was one afternoon. I was fifteen, sixteen, and my sister was one year younger, so fourteen, fifteen. And my sister was, and I could just see it. I, it just broke my heart. Like she was just like, "This is hard," and I was like, "I know this is hard." Like. 
we know this is hard, like, but we got to do it. Mm. Yeah. You know, and like you said, that's probably when the responsibilities came in. Like, you just, you just can, you can, yeah, you, you just know, like, there is no, there is no other, there is no other way. There is no, mm. there is no backward step. Yeah. You know, this is it. This is, this is the drag. This is, this is where we're at in life. There will be better days. There is rock bottom. This is it. And did and so, did your faith during that period was that um, something that, as, as you you know you you just had to walk through that trial you know and and you seemed very aware that that was just you know it was a trial that you had to walk through you and your family but did your faith in that trial diminish or strengthen or or how did how do you would you describe your faith? Um, and your relationship with Christ following those three months? I think, I wouldn't say diminished or anything. I think it just transformed. Yeah. I went from, you know, you go to Sunday school, you go to, like, you, you grow up in a Christian family, you know, you, you sing the words of all the songs, you know, God is my strength, my shield, my everything, you know, my foundation. You go from that, and then you start reading the Bible for yourself. Like, what was my identity, and you, you know, and then, but I kind of skipped all those steps, and I kind of had to just understand, no, He is my strength, because that's how I get through every day. Mm. And like, it, it wasn't like, you know, every day we'd be singing, we would be singing praise and worship song, you know, when we're working and things, we put it in the background. But it, but it's also like this is reality, like, and Mum and Dad would be like daily. God is going to get to us today. God is going to get us through this. Like we believe in faith. Like we believe that, you know, the cancer will go. So every day we'd be praying that. But it, it transformed from, I don't want, I don't want to say like my childlike faith, but my naive faith mm. to a deeper understanding of God. So you're, you're, I think you're right that I understood it was a trial. But when you're in it, you don't realize it. Like you're not you're not trying to learn any lessons. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's it's easy because I'm comfortable now, and like when whenever a trial comes, I'm like, oh yeah, that's a trial. But when you're in that type of situation, or in, in, you know, 15, you didn't really understand it was a trial. You just knew that this is reality. Yeah, it's just life. Like, is all of life a trial? It's a trying time. Yeah, yeah. It's just life. Exactly right. It's just, it's just life. So faith um, faith became real honestly, at that point. Yeah, faith was exactly right. Like, um, so I, I knew, like I started to know a bit more about the family finances then because I knew how much, like how many stones I cut every day. Like, yeah. I knew that. And so you're absolutely right. Like faith became, life and faith, it's just one. And it, to this day, it is still one. Like, I, sure. I can't, you can't take faith away from my life anymore. It's just, it's just life, like, uh-huh. and, and God, God is in life. I think that's interesting that you said that you started recognizing uh, these things as trials, um, and and that it didn't diminish your faith in any means. In uh, James chapter one, verse two to four, it says, "Consider it pure pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds." Because you know that the testing of your faith produ- produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may mature and, 
and be complete, not lacking anything. So, like, it's so good that you were, even at such a young age, because you, you were about 16, were you, at this point? Yeah, 15. Yeah, yeah. 15, wow. Um, that you are able to mature to the point where that, that faith, that trial, um, you considered it, um, I mean, not necessarily joy, but understanding what it was and um, being able to, like, take it on the chin and understand that it's, it's a trial and it's going to produce maturity in, in me. Yeah. Definitely. And I think I, I was when I was thinking about if I should share this story or not, I, I think I have to. Like, it's, it's, it was such a, I think it was such a transformative moment um, in my life that I think I have to share it, which is there was this one of our old family friends that I don't even know of anymore. Okay, so we weren't even that close anymore. But and I don't, I, I, I'm not in touch with them. But my mum knows. Um, that family is in Melbourne, so Melbourne's another city in Australia. And him, sorry, and mum's family friend, mum's friend is a, is a lady and. I think her her partner passed away as well, so same thing. And she flew up from Melbourne, bringing his son to to our house to just come and pray and bless us and just just do life with us. Because I think she understood that you you just need company. Yeah. And I remember this. This is the weirdest, and this is not weird. This is a moment and a lesson that I'll learn forever in my life. Is it's all about someone's presence and someone's company because you meet so many people and you talk to so many people but when the hardest you know when the dark days are there when the trials have happened that's when you know not necessarily who, just who your true friends are but like you know who's going who's going to do life with you and I remember because we had this dinner we had this fabulous dinner everyone was having fun it was all good we forgot about the whole situation and um, the son, so our family friend, the son, he was probably, I would like to say, mid-20s that time or maybe late 20s at that point in time. For some weird reason, he took us out for a quick drive. So this is me, my younger sister, and my younger brother. I think he was there too. Um, my younger brother was 10 at that time. Um, and he, he, he will probably have his own story to tell one day, but he just... He, he also helped out, but I, I don't think he fully understood the whole, how big everything actually was. Um, but he took us for a quick drive, okay? Uh, to this day, I still don't understand why he took us for a drive, I think. But I, I'm so thankful for him. And I don't, I don't talk to him anymore. Like, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, he's literally, to me, he's, he's like a guardian angel. But he was also the person I hated. Um, at the same time so after this drive for 10-15 minutes it was a quick drive we all sat on the car and then he just sat down and he just went alright guys before we go back in I just want to talk to you guys and I was like what I don't really know you like you probably drove us around to get some Maccas or something it was good thank you for that but like, I don't know you like why, why do we need to talk to you sort of thing mm. and he was like look my dad also passed away from cancer and what people, what some people forget is um, to talk to the kids um, and how to live and how to recover through this. And um, 
so he he like I think that's what he said and I, I don't I, I don't hundred percent know what he said like word for word but the gist of it was this he said okay your dad's gonna die hmm. right don't know if he's don't know if he was that eloquent about it or anything but this, this is literally my this is how what I felt when I heard this he was like your dad's gonna die very soon and I was like okay okay now now you're We've just had a lovely dinner, you know, you know, mm. like we've all forgotten about this whole situation. There's no need to do this right now. Yeah. Then he's just like, then there's nothing you can do about it. Mm. And it's, it's weird hearing that for the first time because as someone who's quite practical, our family was quite practical and um, I was, you know, logical person. He was just like, your dad's going to die quite soon. Mm. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. That's not to say you don't believe in God and God doesn't exist, but that's just what's going to happen. Mm. And I hated him. Oh, never thought I had that much emotion in my whole life. And I absolutely hated this bloke. I was like, who are you? Mm. But then he just kept talking for half an hour. He just talked about the recovery. I don't even know what he said. Again, like it's like you don't like you just remember that one line and you just forget everything else. It's just a blur. But it's yeah. it's God's word. Like it's faith. Like he's a faithful servant of God. I can tell you, he's like my guardian angel because he just spoke for half an hour. I have no idea what he said, but I thank him to this day because if he didn't say those words, mm. I wouldn't have recovered this quickly. Or I I, I might I might have left God honestly. Sort of prepped you for that, um, for the death essentially, because yeah. you might have had, and not saying that it's not like it's great to have faith and trust that God will heal um, yeah. sickness and disease. But um, one one thing that a, a pastor said to me to to really understand it um, is we perceive a miracle in a certain way a lot of the time. So when we're praying for healing, say you're praying for healing for your dad, and um, and he does pass, but what we've got to consider is what does healing look like in God's eyes? Um, some say that sometimes God takes the sickness from the person, and other times God takes the person from the sickness. But in both senses, that person is healed. He is fully recovered. He's in heaven you know, with the Lord and from God's perspective, which is the only perspective that matters, is he actually answered your prayer. And that's the great thing about being Christians is that even in death there's life. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, I think that's good that he had a, a talk to you about that, um, which is to not lose faith when uh, healing doesn't go the way that we assume it goes. And our little yeah. tiny human brains. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So how true, like, so yes, you, you just hit it right on the now, like, exactly right, like, because, like, I don't know, like, because you pray and people, people are trying to be positive around you, right, back in the, at that time and everyone was just going, everything will be okay, you know, Yep. speaking these words and he was the one that basically was the reality check 
Yeah. Um, but you're absolutely right because when you're 15, 16, you hear these things and you go to church um, and you, you, you see miracles and you hear about miracles and things and you grow up in church, all that sort of thing. Like, you pray. And, and I, I remember because I think it must have been a few days before that, my dad was really struggling with the pain medication. He was very hazy. And you can start to, like, you can start to tell when a person's starting to lose the fight. And, like, you can do it, but you're in denial about it. So I, I remember being next to the, um, in his bed. Um, and um, it was our family there, but I think my sister and my brother must have gone to bed. But that night I was like, God, you know what? I must have read something or something. I got really hyped up and I was like, God, you're going to heal him tonight. Um, and you stir your faith. And it was still, it, it's funny because like you grow up real quick, but you're also still naive and you're still like, God, but you said like, childlike faith is good, you know? So I, I remember because I was like, mom, we're going to pray for that right now. Right now. He's going to heal us right now. Mm. And um, that was like a few nights before that. And I just said, right, mom and dad, yeah, we're going to hold, like hold our hands, you know, um, God said that if faith can move mountains, like we can do everything. So let's do this. Let's mm. use my faith. And that was the day I tried to stir my faith yeah. so much. I was just like, no, God's got him. God's got him. He's gonna, he's gonna heal my dad. Yep. Like, and you, like, you inside you know you're in denial, but, but you're still gonna do it. Like, you don't want to leave any stone unturned. Mm. Yeah, for and sure. That's why that line, you know, your dad's gonna die soon. And there's nothing you can do about it. It's so it was so big for me because there was literally nothing I could do about it. Not not no extra work. Like I couldn't put in more work in the factory. I couldn't get higher marks at school. I couldn't do. Mm. I couldn't. You know, you can't pray more. You you can pray more, but you can't like you can't stir your faith any further. You can't read the Bible 24 hours a day, trying to trying to receive with like you can't do that. You can can't do anything because this is if god wants to take him away he'll take him away yeah it's completely out of your control yeah and and that was the day that i kind of started to understand that yeah and so very quickly from that day on oh don't get me wrong that was so i put this entire situation on that 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 guy's (laughs) head <laughs> I started hating him a lot. Um, not that I told anyone about it, but I was like, "Oh yeah, nice guy." I'm like, but inside, I was like, "I hate that guy. Mm. He's the worst. Like, who does that? Like, who comes to my house, has a nice family dinner, we fed you, like we cook for you, and host you because he stayed over for a night because he was from Melbourne, and then do that to us? Like, mm. you know, I hated that guy. So I blamed everything, the disease, everything on that guy." Mm. He's not on our team. He doesn't believe what we believe. You know, he's exactly. not sharing our optimism here. Yeah, exactly. And it, it, that's the thing. You, you try to be positive and um, isn't he exactly. Little did I know that he was the, probably the most on my team that, um, yeah. out of everyone I knew because he was the only one who's gone through it himself. Mm. And he was the one who was like, these guys need to hear this thing. These guys need to hear the recovery. These guys need to hear what to do from now on. Because mm. life doesn't just end after this event. Things, things keep happening. And so 
now now that I've grown up a bit older, but also um, even it, I, I thank God for this because it, it, when my dad did finally pass away, it was I think um, probably three months or three and a half months to the day. Um, so so three months to the day um, that the doctor said. Um, they, they do know they do know what they're talking about, um, and I was, you know, we were in the hospital with palliative care, and when my dad peacefully passed over, it this is like there's a miracle, I guess, like the peacefulness of God on that day just spread over me and my family. There were tears, but also there weren't that many. Like we. Um, so my dad passed away overnight. So my mum stayed with dad in the hospital and we went home the night before. Mm-hmm. And then we we went over um, in the morning of and then we um, we get to see, go for one last look essentially is what they do for us. Um, and then, you know, and mum took us in. He's like, okay, so dad's passed away um, peacefully through the night. Um, we were just praying and talking and he just, he just, um, yeah, he just told us how much he loves us and he just went, I'll see you in heaven sort of thing. And um, so when we got there, um, there was a peace in that, the, God's peace was in that room. It really was. Um, we we um, went in the room as per normal and dad just looked like he was sleeping. And he had this little grin on his face. Um, and wow. yeah, like you'd think he'd be in pain or something, but it, there was this little grin, like he's, my dad's got this cheeky little grin, like when he's smiling. That's like this half smile, half like I'm, I'm up to a bit of trouble, sort of cheekiness to it. And I remember because it was like, how does one smile in this situation? Mm. You know? Mm. But when we saw it, we just went, ah. Oh, he, he was finally in peace. Yeah. Um, yeah, Dad was just in peace. Like, and in our hearts, we all, like, I looked over to Mum and she was crying, but she, she also was smiling and looked over to my sister. She was, she was bawling her eyes out. Um, and thank God for her because she, <laughs> she kind of bawled her eyes out for the, for me. Um, and I remember trying to hold it in and I had a few tears and then, I, I remember then I said to God, well, God, I guess this is it, hey? Um, but there was this peace in my heart. Like, it was just so peaceful. And I, it, it, it must have been supernatural. Like, like I knew God was there and Dad was still there. Like, that's that's what it feels like. They were still there. They are just looking over us and going, yep, mm. we're fine. You know, we'll see you in heaven. A, uh, a few years ago, my uh, grandfather passed away, and a week before his passing, he got saved. And um, it was knowing exactly where he is. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a we were sad that we we're going to miss him, but it was it really was a supernatural peace that surpassed all understanding that went throughout our whole family, and. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, up like 
sort of a very similar situation, although my mm. grandfather was obviously a lot like older and um he had lived lived a long life but he wasn't saved and the mm. moment that he got saved um a week before he died was just you know it was like like all the anxiety everything for the family around him and and himself he he didn't fear death he went from fearing death to ready for it in mm. in 2 seconds flat it was incredible to witness so I, I really like that how you you mentioned that your dad had a, a smile like a cheeky grin, um, mm. when when Jesus uh, had taken him and it was kind of like like I'm letting you know you know I'm I'm happy I'm at rest I, I'm I'm with Jesus and I'll see you soon. It's really mm. cool. Yeah, it, absolutely. Like when and that's one of the things that's so good is to be Christian and not just to say I'm a Christian, but when you're, when you are a Christian, you know, you like there's, there's no other way to explain. You just know that there is God and he's got you. Mm. He's got your back. He'll look after you. And, um, this, this is a very, this is a cricket sort of thing. But, um, I remember someone was like, like that pastor friend of ours that had cancer for four years. He just went, Dave, your dad did a good inning. And, um, and I think that's one of the best terms I've ever heard in my whole life. And I've always kept it to heart. It was just like, yeah, my dad has done a good inning. He's mm. played a good inning on this earth. And we'll play more when we get to heaven. Mm. And so that's, yeah, like looking back on it, it's just that's the foundation of of what it is to be Christian, not just, it's not, Christianity is not just singing songs. It's not just, and we, we know that, but it's not just knowing there is a God and, you know, trying to get, you know, trying to solve our problems one day at a time sort of thing. And it's not just about that. And everyone's got a story to tell, but for me, like having faith in God is just, it's, it's in your being. It's just, it's, it's, you know, mm. you can't separate God from life, you know, mm. and, There'll still be struggles. I still go through my ups and downs, but like every day, I'm just like, like, no, God, God will, God's got me, you know. Yeah, for sure. God's got my back, and like He will still have my back, mm. you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, um, Thompson, I saw yeah. you writing a few things down. Did you have anything to ask? So, um, yeah, David, I, I feel like. Uh, you might have a cool perspective on this, actually. This is kind of a question I've been asking myself. Um, a year and a half ago, uh, my brother-in-law passed away from cancer mm -hmm. as well. And it was a very interesting process because the cancer lasted for two years. And mm -hmm. what had happened is he got this cancer and then they did a, uh, a surgery where, you know, they cut out, you know, a... Yep quite a lot of tissue that was cancerous and, and it, they said he was cancer free and that lasted about three months and it came back and it was spreading everywhere. And so, <clears throat> you know, as much as I, uh, you know, trust in modern medicine, I'm also going to the Lord. And so mm -hmm. just hoping for the best. And, um, I had a moment similar to that as well. Cause, um, I was actually, chatting on the phone. I was, I was here in, in New Zealand 
and uh, my brother-in-law was living back in L.A. And so um, his condition was getting worse. Um, I had seen him in August of 2018, and then I saw him again in February of 2019, and he was about half the size. You know, he had just gone downhill, and it was just quite a journey. And so by the time October of 2019 came around, uh, you know, it was looking really bad. And I got a call uh, from from somebody who was uh, giving me an update on his condition. And for me, I was trying to make the decision to come back home or, you know, what, what could I do? Because it's, it's a big trip back to the States from, yeah. from New Zealand, but at the same time, it's so worth it. And so I'm just trying to time it, you know, like, is this the right timing or do I wait or what? And, you know, I was speaking on the phone and, and this guy said, uh, oh, he's, he's going to die. And it was the same thing for me because I needed that um, that reality check as well because I was trying to make a decision to actually fly home and see him. Mm-hmm. Um, but my question is, you know, at what point, what do you think, you know, at what point do you go from I'm believing for a healing into mm-hmm. I'm emotionally preparing to lose this person? I'm accepting this sort of sentence and I'm, I'm actually preparing for the loss. Um, I think everyone's got a timing for themselves. Um, and I think some people are much quicker. Some people like just the healing process, I guess. Um, cause I think, I don't know who said this to me, but, um, Sorry, I do. There's a pastor, that pastor who was really close with my dad in those three months, um, and before that too, that that had cancer for four years. He told me, and he told our family, he's like, you know what? I'm I'm still believing for um, healing every day. And I was like, oh, I guess you can say that because you you're pretty positive. You're running around doing everything. Yeah. And but he's also like, you know what? Also, I pray that God will take me to heaven every day too. Um, wow. and I was like, what? And I, I didn't understand it because um, I didn't really understand it till after, afterwards, after everything passed, that it's as the patient yourself or as the person yourself, you're kind of in loo. You're kind of in this place of you're just doing things because you need to. So recovery, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, hoping for the best, all that sort of thing. And, but I also think, I know this is going to sound a bit weird, um, and a bit, maybe even a bit wrong, but it's like, that's everyday life. Every day, you, you sort of, God can take me from a car accident, you know, and I don't want to make a cliche, but, sure. So, but it is, it's when I, afterwards, like, I don't really have an answer for you in terms of how long will it take and how long you should you do the reality check or whatever. Um, but what I mean is, I I can quite happily say, right now, I, I, I go, if if I really do pass away today, I have no regrets. Yeah. In my life. And so I think, I guess that's, I don't know if that sort of answers your question because 
your question is when do you pray for healing? When do you pray for, um, you know, accept the fact that, you know, you're going to die? Well, I feel like that's every day for every one of us. Mm. Like every day I'm praying to be better. I'm praying to do more. I'm praying, you know, all my goals, all my plans, all my visions, everything. I'm praying for all of that. But also every day I know I'm right with God. But if I really do, you know, die from an accident or anything, that's okay too because I'll be happy in heaven. Yeah. I think um, so, putting your trust in, in God in, in, a, in a funny way, um, like we always say to trust in, in God, but when, when you know, family members start dying on cancer mm. and people say trust in God, what, what does that look like, you know? And mm. I've got a friend of mine, and this story probably uh, explains it quite well. His name's uh, Jared Campbell and uh, Reuben Campbell, their two brothers. Um, shout out to you two if you're listening. But um, when he was, when we were in high school, um, I'm trying to remember how old I was. I might have been maybe 12 at the time. Um, no, I might have been younger than that. I think I might have been like nine, nine years old at the time. And um, his dad was diagnosed with brain cancer and um, passed away. I think it was about a year. And um, he was only supposed to have, uh, I think, a couple of months. So God extended his life by a year. And um, it, and they had four kids. So there was these two boys, Jared and Reuben Campbell, and they had um, twin sisters as well, uh, Emily and Lucy. And looking at it from from that day, you know, the day that um, their dad passed away, Barry, you, you ask yourself, you know, Lord, why? Why would you do this to this family? Mm. Now, I'm just going to fast forward to today. I'm 26, and Jared and Ruben are uh, our age, and um, the the two sisters, the twin sisters, they are both nurses, and they have helped so many cancer patients. Jared, uh, one of our really good friends, really close friends, he's studying to be a brain surgeon. So three out of four of those kids are saving lives. So if you look at that, God has taken one person to heaven to extend the lives of countless people because that's what that's the profession they chose because of uh, this testimony of their, their father passing away of, of brain cancer. And you only have that perspective that God actually really does know what he's doing when you zoom out and you can see the life effective, like how much their lives were, lives were affected and the good that they've done because of the tragedy that happened when they were younger. And all I see is Jared's dad looking down from heaven, you know, and going, that's my boy. He's saving lives. Yeah. And saving lives, you know, people that are, that are potentially unsaved, and they get to the point where, they're, you know, they, they could pass. And you got this man of God, who's also a healer, you know, a brain surgeon coming in, sharing his testimony about his dad's death and sharing his faith 
and how he still believes in a loving God and that he knows that his father's in heaven and that he'll see him soon. And being able to save lives, to literally let God save lives for them to be saved. And I just think that's like such an amazing thing. Like when you really zoom out, you can see God's hand in it all. And yeah, I used to scratch my head and wonder throughout high school when I was with Jared and Ruben. And we would, um, because my father had gone through a a horrific brain accident, a horrific car accident and had uh, brain damage and things like that. And he survived. And um, one of my best friends, his father had died. And it was like, why did one live and one not? And from our perspective, we have no idea why. But then when we zoom out, years later, we got these healers, doctors, um, fully going forth and and doing the work of God. Like, it's just incredible. You really got to zoom out. And I think, um, so to answer the other Joel's question, um, what time is right is, I think, when you want to be real with God, I think that's time is right. So, I don't know who said this word to me. He's like, David, do you have faith in God enough that you believe God can take it? And I was like, what? He's like, yeah. Stop holding back things you actually want to say to God and actually tell him, because he can take it. I can mm. guarantee you. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm not holding back anything. He's like, yes, you are. And I was. So have you, my, my question to you, I guess, or my thoughts about this is when death does happen and comes knocking on the door and things like this and you can't accept it, you have to ask those questions that you really want to ask God. Mm. So why did he take him away? Mm. That's the first, like the obvious, why? Like, finding, trying to find meaning in all of it. Um, you know, you ask, you, you be angry with God. Like, <laughs> Um, I, you know, you learn to, you know, hold your anger and all that in church, and I did. But also, like, I knew that there was this anger at God, and it wasn't until, like, you know, I, I, I guess, till, like, 10 years later, when I was 25, 26, when I actually was like, God, I'm actually a bit angry with you mm. about how everything went down, and being truly able to open up. Now, I, I, I'm, I am at peace with it, and I was already at peace with it. So like different situations, if you never truly ask God those questions, you'll never recover. So like mm. when you ask like how long will it take? Well, whenever you're ready to, to ask God and just be angry at God, be confused at God and just go, God, what the heck is this? Like, mm. You know, why, why did this happen? Why my dad? Sure. Why not someone else's dad? Why yeah. not that serial killer? Why is he living nicely? You know, my dad was good. Like, why? Right. Why me? Sure. You know. Yeah, and, no, that's a good point. Um, yeah, so yeah, so you still believe for healing, but ask those questions. Like, I can tell you, I've been in my, on my bed, like bedroom, and I was just in like, couldn't sleep one night, and I was just like, why God? Just why? Just, just, just why? Why would you make me and? and um, I guess I'm fast forwarding a little bit here, but like the recovery continued to like, you know, even two years ago, I, I, I remember this really, really well because I've moved out 
apartment, I was just in my, I was just, I knew God was with me, but I was just like, why, why would you let me believe that you don't have me, God? Why would you build up my faith so much to know that, but also like have that 1% of doubt that you are for me? It's like, so what I mean is like, you know, I believe God is in this. I believe everything is in this. God, like God's hand is in this and his miracle is in this. But in my mind, I'm like, yes, I believe all that. But in 1% of my little mind, in a tiny little corner, my darkest secret, darkest, deepest corner of my mind, I'm just like, but is God really for you? Is God really for me? Because if he did, he didn't need to take my dad away. Mm. Yeah. And unless you're, unless you're willing to search and dig, because it doesn't, it doesn't come out every day, unless you're happy to search and dig and truly go ask that question of going, God, I'm going to be real with you. Why are you actually for me? Unless you do that, like, I don't think, like, time itself doesn't really matter, I guess. It's just, it's just, it's a process yep. of digging. For sure. Um, and so I guess, yeah, so, uh, you know, I think a lot of people might have a different perspective on this, and sometimes we can come to, we can come to a different conclusion, I think, theologically as opposed to experientially. But, you know, would you, would you say that you believe that God took your dad? Yeah, so this is, this is one of the questions I, I, I still ask to say. I'm like, well, I must be, I must sort of somehow believe that then. Sure. You know, not that I, you know, I don't know that that's the answer, like, Mm. Like, I know God exists, you know, and then I guess this is what something that everyone goes through. I, I know that God exists, and He is for me, and He's there's there's too much evidence and too much to show that He's not in everything. Mm. But also, like, does, can I can I even blame the bad things on God? You know, yeah. As well, but then to ask that question, and this is something that I'm. I still pray about is then, well, why was I even born? Mm. You know, because if you want to blame God on that, then you, you also have to blame God on being born. And then you just go nowhere because you're born. <laughs> you know, you are you. Yeah. And you just are. And I think, but like when I pray and I'm like, God, you know, who are you? Like, what, 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 what are we all doing sort of in some days? Mm. Um, and I like it because God just says I am who I am. <laughs> so I don't, I, you know, I, I'm not heavy onto like different theological conclusions there. I, yeah. You know, I like my logic and things, but I've also experienced so much that all I know is God is and I am, I am who I am. Yeah. God created me that way. That's such a good answer, and it's it's so it's so good to come to. I mean, what it really sounds like too, David, is that you know you've you've come to the end of yourself, you know, and mm. probably more than once, you know, just knowing part of your story. But you know, you've been through a lot, man, and so coming to that and then still trusting in God, it's like, you know, not ha- maybe not always having the answers, but still choosing to trust Him anyway. Yeah, Isaiah 55 says God's thoughts are higher than ours. Um, 
he has purposes we can't comprehend, you know? So like, yeah, yeah no, knowing that whoever does pass, you know, they're in good hands. I think yeah. it's, it's such a hard thing to let go. Um, but yeah, I always ask myself this question sometimes when I'm, when I'm pondering and, um, if God grabbed me, you know, just right now, brought me to heaven and I was able to see, you know, what's in store for us. And if he said, and like feel his love, like a full, full presence right in front of me, the angels, the um, magnificence of heaven and everybody that had passed, I'd say, you know, see my granddad again and things like that. What, and, and then God said, you know, do you want to stay? You know, if I had said yes, you know, one thing that I would be wondering, I'm like, I will stay as long as this decision doesn't affect my family and my family's faith. You know, like that would be probably the only thing that would stop me from from staying. And I do wonder if um, maybe your dad had a similar experience, you know, who's with God and he goes, you know, what's going to happen if I stay? And um, he might say, I'm going to strengthen your son's faith to a point where he's going to be the man of God like Moses. You know, he's going to be all out on fire for the Holy Spirit and he's going to save tens of thousands of souls with his testimony and his ministry. You know, like if that was the answer, I would probably stay with God, you know, and that like, it's such a weird thought, but when you look at it from that perspective, you're like, okay, okay, I will, from God's perspective, I'll put this person through this trial because I know what the outcome looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's encouraging to see, even at such a young age, your faith just stepping to something else, like a lot of teenagers can be off you know, going out to nightclubs or and getting fake IDs and drinking and stuff behind par- their parents' yeah. back. But you're there reading your Bible, growing in your faith. Like it's encouraging to know um, that, yeah, when you do read your Bible and you do pray and you do believe mm. and also, as you said, with that community of your family and those friends that came down, Mm. that it is important to have family and share those things with your family and a community mm. to actually also help yourself grow in your faith. Um, and just especially mm. you're staring, well, for your father, I guess, staring death in its face and mm. believing for some sort of healing that God's going to heal your dad one way or another. Um, it's, it's, yeah, I found that really encouraging for myself just to knuckle down and continue to read my Bible and um, to believe and stand firm on God's word that he will be with you in these times. He will give you peace and he will give you that strength that even we don't even understand. Um, Yeah. Yeah. No, I do. I do appreciate your story. Um, We've been going for a while now, Dave, and I think we should come back for a part two and um, hear the rest of your testimony if that's all good. Yeah, I think think we'll wrap up. Because it's one of those testimonies that that I want us to make sure that we have that energy to um, to get.
the most out of it that we can. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, would you like to come back on at, on a later episode, Dave? Yeah, that's totally fine. Because I know that you've got a little bit more to share um, in the notes here that you've sent us, and we'd mm-hmm. love to hear more about it. So, yeah, yep. jo- Thompson, would you like to wrap us out? David, thanks so much, man. Um, you have a super unique perspective. Uh, you have a heart of faith, and and to be honest, it's just really cool to be able to get your story out there. Um, so do you have anything you want to say before we go? Um, I'll, I'll just finish on one scripture that I, I've just held on to um, for everything. Um, it's from Hebrews 11, this verse one there. It just says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Um, that's just a normal new international version. And I think through this whole ordeal, it's just it, we just have confidence in God mm. and what like I hope for, like you know, everything to be good. You know, but yeah. we, there's an assurance that we don't see it yet, but it will happen. Mm. So that's kind of kind of yeah, where I want to leave that. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much, David. Uh, to all you listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we look forward to. Yeah, seeing you again here. Uh, We'll come back another time with another guest. We'll see you soon. Yep.